Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Oh, thank you. It's good to be with you again. I appreciate that. It was nice speaking to you last week while I was in Jerusalem. And as you always point out, there is something extra special and beautiful about the holy city of Jerusalem and being in Israel. And I hope, I hope that everybody takes advantage of the opportunity to be part of the big celebration coming up on May the 24th when the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. My gosh, do I feel old! The 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem is going to be happening, the big celebration on the 24th of May. And I know you encourage, you continue to encourage people from around the world who are not necessarily regularly in Israel to try to set aside a couple of days during that week to be there as well. Absolutely. And there's so many wonderful things being planned. It's wonderful at any time, but this is especially significant. And there will be a week-long celebration, and those who can come a few days earlier, I think there will be more but especially the Mizrahi, World Mizrahi Movement, uh, bringing people from all over the world and uh, others who, who will be joining. I think it will be very uh, memorable and exceptional. Uh, by the way, everybody, there's a site with all the information, Mizrahi.org slash YY50, YY for Yom Yerushalayim, Mizrahi.org slash YY50. And speaking of travel, before we get into the news of the day, uh, you and your family have made an adjustment. What are your plans now? How do people join you if they want to spend Pesach, if they want to spend Passover with you and your family? Well, we're looking forward very much to being at the Pardes Pesach program in Mission Hills in San Diego. It's a wonderful program with uh, really exceptional uh, people coming to speak and participating, and I'm really very pleased to be able to be there. All right. Be, try not during your lectures. Try not to frighten people too much. They want to, you know, the, afterwards they want to go to sleep, rest a little bit. You don't want to get, get all tense and on edge about this. No, I put them to sleep right away <laughs> during the speech, so it's okay. Oh, is, I make sure that they sleep well. Is that how it works? I was I was under the impression that you you strike so much fear about what's happening in this world. I never strike fear. I tell the truth. That's all. But I I will tell you, uh, as a rule, you know, I think that that uh, myth because. Sometimes people are unaware, and when they hear what's going on, it sometimes can be surprising. But I think that there's a lot of good news in the world. I saw it this week myself. There are great opportunities, great things happening. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we saw the rest of, uh, of the person responsible for it, so there wasn't some sort of a massive plot. And as I said many times on this show, it doesn't take much to, to get a list of phone numbers. And we saw that that... Uh, was, well, uh, yeah. Let, let, let's start with that. Uh, I mean, this dual, this young dual citizen is responsible for the uh, the JCC bomb threats and you know threatening uh, different Jewish institutions in the U.S. Uh, doing it from thousands of miles away. I mean, I don't know. G- give me your overall impression of you know somebody like that being able to you know to to work under the uh, under the nose of the FBI and other invest- investigative uh, agencies and pull all this off. But it's 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 very simple. Uh, first of all, I think that the guy probably, and there are all sorts of reports of his medical condition, of other uh, uh, problems that uh, he had. Uh, but to get a list of phone numbers and to get the technology today, he had a very elaborate setup where he was not calling directly, so it was very hard to trace the calls. But they reversed the technology, essentially, and use the same methods to, to get back to him. Uh, and uh, as I said uh, many times, that I'm much more concerned about the anti-Semitism on campus 
than these calls. But the dangers of the calls is that they, they caused permanent damage where people did not register their children for the next year in, right. in JCCs. They didn't attend events, that it's disruptive of Jewish life. Those are very serious, uh, uh, in, in a very serious impact. And it's frankly anti-Semitic if, in, in its effect, even if it's carried out by somebody who it was an Israeli American, etc. But it's clearly a troubled uh, young man. His father was arrested as well. I'm not quite sure why he lived at home. So maybe they just were as an accessory to the crime. I don't think that he was responsible or uh, that they alleged that he was. Uh, now, now, this, yeah. yeah. Now I don't know if this happened while I was away and I wasn't paying attention, or it just happened at some point. I didn't see it. I mean, did the president of the United States ever actually suggest? that it might be a member of the Jewish community doing this? He said something at the beginning um, that it was false flag, I think was the term that he used. Uh, I don't think he meant that it was uh, somebody in the Jewish community doing it as much as he, he felt that it was not, uh, that it might have been a hoax or it might have been um, uh, perpetrated by somebody who didn't intend to carry out the act. That, that's what I believe he, his right. intention was in, in that. And I, and, but he did afterwards, as you know, come out very strongly during his speech to Congress. It was the opening uh, statement. And, and the danger of this now is that people will, will start to dismiss uh, the seriousness of anti-Semitism today. If we remember, the, the rise in anti-Semitic incidents long preceded this series of calls and that the physical attacks and, and other assaults, the cemeteries, the other things continue. The uh, And I'm concerned on two levels. One, that the general populace dismisses anti-Semitism, sees it as a hoax, and you know all of the actions, all of the legislative initiatives, other things will, will stop. And second, that in the Jewish community, the priority being given to security will diminish as well, and that they go back to business as usual. That is a mistake. We still face serious issues. It's still serious matters. Security has to be given a greater priority. It has not been the case in the Jewish community generally, and for financial reasons primarily. And I think that now we can't afford to let this, the, the, the findings in this case, uh, diminish that commitment. Will he be extradited to the U.S.? It's a good question. I don't know. I think it'll depend on his mental health and physical health or whatever, whatever his condition is and whether the United States uh, will, will insist on it. Right. We'll have to see. Whether authorities... Think if there's a legitimate reason, they will. They will but right. If authorities feel it's worthwhile, then they'll likely... Well, like it depends on the nature of the crime also. Right. You, you can't just extradite on, on anything, Israel, that we have an extradition uh, treaty, but I think it's for much more serious crimes. What do we know about the London terrorists from this week? It's, again, a homegrown uh, incident. It is not a lone wolf. He had contacts. This is a guy who was under surveillance before. He was uh, known to, to Scotland Yard, they uh, said, but the lack of resources, they could not uh, pursue him further, that he, he had been watched. If you notice the, the methodology, again, the knife attack, so people will understand the seriousness of why Israel deals with the, what they call the knife intifada or knife of fada, uh, so seriously, that the, the, the death of that um, policeman. Yeah. And maybe they're going to have to look at whether it, strategic places they have to arm them he was not armed and even though he was part of the security detail at the parliament it is um we see the incitement in great britain and this is something that had been warned about for a long time i discussed with you 
um, weeks ago, there were warning from the head of the police and others that the ISIS will attack, and essentially they, they, they were just issuing a warning because there wasn't much they could do uh, to to prevent when, when you have so many people returning from Syria, so many others who are sympathizers, and can be recruited online without having have gone to Syria. So this is something, uh, a concern that the law enforcement in England uh, had been warning about and was wary of, and it came to fruition in this case. Uh, yes, David Friedman has been, uh, uh, has been confirmed by the Senate U.S. Ambassador to Israel. Uh, there are those uh, in our community who are concerned, upset, surprised, maybe some are not surprised, that Senator Schumer uh, voted against his uh, confirmation. I mean, this was really, I, I, I would think if we're going to be logical uh, in our analysis, this is really essentially split along party lines with very rare exception, right? Right, Senator Menendez uh, right. and um, and one other was were the only two Democrats who who voted uh, for him. And that's part of the part of the problem is that today the partisanship is so deep um, that um, it's manifest in, in virtually every vote. We're seeing it in the debate about the Supreme Court. We're seeing it in, in the debate about health care. And, and rather than trying to come together and develop something that both can be can be acceptable to all sides, they are digging in, and, and the division seems to be getting worse, not better. And and I'm afraid, you know, that they're not focused now on 2020. They're focused on 2018. Uh, to, and, and my concern is that the partisanship will continue because they're going to wrestle for control. Uh, there are so many Democratic senators up, I think, 23 in 2018 that they have very high stakes in, in this. There are issues over which there can be very legitimate differences, but it seems that the, the partisanship all, all around is, is just increased. By the way, I, I just wanted to say something on the other point, that yeah. when you talk about prevention, to see that in, in Israel there was a report this week by the Shabak, the, the Israel Security Agency, that they frustrated 340-some major terror attacks, and, and including 184 that involved guns and uh, 16 potential abductions and some suicide attacks and 86 using knives or vehicles during 2016. And uh, the, when you go and look at the arrest and you see how effective when people ask why does something happen, and this is true in other countries as well where, where you don't see the numbers quite so starkly, uh, how what, God forbid, could have happened if Israel didn't have the kind of security uh, situation that it does. Uh, what was disturbing to me was that I think it was almost the, around 30 Arab residents of East Jerusalem were involved in terrorism last year, which was a, a very sharp increase. And meaning among that segment of the population. In, that, in the yeah, Arabs of East Jerusalem, right. Yeah, boy, oh boy, something to consider. Um, I saw those statistics. It was, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And again, you know, having been there last week, you, won, you wonder and you think every time you see what, a, a checkpoint, every time you see soldiers, every time you wonder what they're looking at, what they're looking for, and you admire even more uh, the incredible job that's being done um, by the investigative uh, agencies there. Uh, the, um, uh, the, and by the way, on the subject of the bipartisanship or, or lack of bipartisanship that you just mentioned earlier, uh, and in addition to that, in addition to the split in the House and Senate that you just alluded to, uh, and and the different uh, areas that you know that the, the disagreement just continues to you know get 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 hotter and hotter, the White House isn't helping that. 
right? I mean, we, we've seen presidents who've who've reached out and made attempts to you know smooth things over and really bring the two parties together. There's been precedents for that, but in this White House, it doesn't seem there's much interest in that, especially when you look at the way the health care issue is being handled. Well, because the the, the line has been drawn, and uh, I think that the, that the statements coming from all sides seem to be uh, more confrontational and and more divisive than accommodating. And the I think it, you know each thing, each action has a reaction, and each attack gets a response, and people get put on the defensive when they come under assault, and that's why I think, you know, some of the issues now that, the, I mean, we're going to see play out the, the accusation about the um, uh, wiretapping, and, right. you know, everything just contributes right now, and I, I am concerned about how this is going to play out over the next couple of years, and, and you know, the administration is still in its very early stages. Most of the positions have, still haven't been filled, um, and the, the, you know, policy is in, in formation. So hopefully, I'm, I'm still hopeful that somehow we can, and the American people just have to demand that we want to see the issues addressed. We have great issues, challenges on the international scene, and, and I saw it this week in China about the, when you see North Korea up close and the threat that it poses and the, the, the extent to which it has developed its missile capacity and talk of, of even having you know, a nuclear capacity in, in a short period of time. And if any two years and three years and one year, different assessments, but the 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 issues that that we face really require and, and dealing with Iran and Iran's increased aggression that that we um, uh, have to address it. You know, we see them well, yeah. moving together on some issues on the UN. I think that there's more of a consensus of demanding the end to the bias on Israel about the Human Rights Council membership about um, confronting the the uh, spate of anti-Israel resolutions in the General Assembly as well, and and even about challenging um, uh, the funding to some of these agencies. You know, by the way, that the Esquire, which we discussed, that report by uh, Richard Falk, uh, notoriously anti-Israel guy who who worked for the UN and was hired by this Economic and Social uh, Council for Western Asia, which is made up, of, I think, of 22 Arab countries. You know, they found that the budget of this agency, funded by the UN, is $70 million. Wow. They have 400 people sitting in a building in Beirut. No one ever heard of it. Nobody knows what it does. And there are these for each of the regional groupings. And the U.S. is paying 22% of the budget for this body that, that put out the report, you know, accusing Israel of apartheid. And now I learned that there's a second report about to come out, which studies and tries to use, quote, scientific and innovative uh, methods to to uh, develop a report about what the cost of Israel's 50-year occupation has been. This is something, it's absolutely impossible, it's ridiculous, it's a total waste of, of money, and we're paying 22% of it. And the, the three Palestinian commissions that are just propaganda machines for them. The, I mean, just so much on, on this uh, front in, in the... Uh, and, and part of the house cleaning has to start at the State Department that put out a human rights report, which has 141 pages devoted to Israel and terrorism. And when you take... A, 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 and the territories. Right. And when you take away the territories... Just Israel alone is 69 pages. Iran is 48. Syria is 58. <laughs> One of the char charges, and this is really serious, is 
that people, that the dust of nearby construction is affecting people. And this is our own State Department. Unbelievable. Well, maybe with the brand new uh, atmosphere that the United States is uh, trying to set in the U.N., maybe there'll be some progress on this issue. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSingle.com on the NahumSingle Network and, of course, on our beloved NSN app. Did the United States demand the construction freeze, yes or no, in the settlements? I wasn't there, but he certainly in his public statements talked about containing and controlling them. Um, uh, when Mr. Greenblatt was in uh, in Israel, the statements uh, that were reported indicated that he um, did express um, that view. That that uh, I don't know if he said it's halted or or it, that settlement construction should be restrained. I think was the word. I mean, I recall. Mo- a lot of people in our community who voted for the current administration. Uh, we're counting on the fact that they would they would be sympathetic when it came to construction and would never even allude to any type of uh, settlement construction freeze. Right. People were, were surprised, I think, in Israel as well. But um, it, it, essentially, uh, that, that trip was a, a listening trip, and he's obviously somebody who is well-known, and his positions have been well-known to sympathies. So we have to find out what really took place, but essentially I think it was really to hear the different points of view. He heard from Mr. Abbas, just as he did from the Prime Minister, and, and visited the set, uh, group with a group of settler leaders, which is, is not was not done before to give them a chance to be heard. And um, some of them came out and expressed uh, you know, positive statements, even though concerned about that issue. All right, as we discussed last week, one of the big issues is, of course, Russia's role in Syria and that entire region. Uh, We know now about the uh, convoy that was heading from uh, Iran to Lebanon that Israel took out. Uh, It it seems that the Russian administration was not very happy uh, with Israel acting what seemed to be, at least from their point of view, in a unilateral uh, way, uh, without consultation, without coordination of Russia. Is this an accurate description of how it went down? Uh, it seems that way, at least that the Israeli ambassador was was summoned in right. Moscow, and there were numerous exchanges. There is some sort of an understanding between Israel and Russia about Israel's operations in in uh, in Syria. This was uh, the third, I think, attack uh, of its kind in, in a short period of time, and that the uh, Syrians in this instance fired a ballistic missile uh, at Israel at the planes. It's a long-range missile and it was fired too late, really, to hit the airplanes. Uh, and Israel activated the Arrow missile defense. They, you know, they have one minute to decide. And and the reason that they did it was not because of the danger to to the um, to airplanes, uh, to the Israeli planes who had already long returned to Israel, but because this was a carried a 200 kilogram warhead, which is very large, and it was likely to hit in the Jordan Valley. So it was meant to prevent the loss of life on the ground in Israel. The Arrow missile, which is meant to hit high-altitude missiles from launch, uh, they it obviously has been improved that it can be used for a much shorter-range uh, missile like this one. And, um, uh, and, and it was very accurate in hitting uh, the missile, which was a, a great success and a great relief. But it was a, certainly an escalation on a part of Syria in terms of responding. Israel right. is not going to allow the transfer of of uh, the uh, of weapons, and we see more and more that Iran 
is, is providing these weapons. They're finding more ways to, to get them in. As Israel said, it's a violation of U.N. resolutions, several of them. The Secretary General of the United Nations alluded to it. Right, but the focus of my question, I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> I have no problem with Israel's reaction, but it, but it seems we're getting to a point now, and we alluded to this last week as well, that Israel's not going to be able to act in that region without Russian either permission or cooperation or at least, you know, some knowledge of what they're doing. Uh, it, it seems to be a dangerous precedent for a country that needs to continue its independence when it comes to fighting the enemy. It's true, and we, we did discuss this already, but the, the, the other party that they have to, you have to be very concerned about is not just Russia, but Russia's involvement, and now they... As, I mentioned building the permanent bases in Latakia and, and an Air Force base um, in Tartus and Latakia, an Air Force and Naval base. Iran is now building a permanent base there, and they took a 50-year lease with uh, a provision where no Syrians have access to the base, only Iranians. And we don't know what systems they will deploy, but we know that they are importing uh, more and more weapons, more and more people, the population replacement, the development of what we long talk about, what the King of uh, King Abdullah called the Shiite Crescent, which goes now from, from Iran through Iraq to Syria to Lebanon. They, they are, in fact, developing uh, a trans-Iraq highway from Iran to Syria. They have re- replaced the population with, with uh, 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 Sunni population, with Shiites from Iraq and from Lebanon and elsewhere, the the um, uh, there are they bought, for instance, the rights to all the, to the cellular company in, in Iraq. It's a company owned by the Supreme Leader and the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and they also have bought it in in Iraq and in Syria. So you, you see what their goal is to control means communication, control critical facilities. And this is uh, a warning that was expressed for a long time, and people didn't take it seriously. And now we face a new reality that the the uh, Iran that has 8,000 Hezbollah in, in Syria and 2,000 of its own troops and uh, about 5,000 uh, or 8,000, 7,000 of the Shiite militias. So it's not just Russia that we have to be concerned about. Russia is... is um, has the S three hundred system there? Yeah, I, I understand that, but but and of course, Iran is the is the main enemy to be worried about. But if now Russia is going to have their back by calling in Israeli ambassadors every time Israel takes an action against Iran, a legitimate action against Iran, then that alliance, that Russian Iran alliance, is going to get more dangerous for Israel. Yeah, I don't know if we could call it an alliance. Is perhaps a coincidence of interest at this uh, at this moment? I think there. Are potential tensions between them as well? Iran, uh, Russia, which has been accused of also doing a population exchange of a similar nature, though, doesn't want to see Iran completely take over. Uh, Russia's interest is creating creating its footprint. It doesn't want a confrontation with Israel, uh, but it wants to assert its uh, its legitimacy in Syria by calling in the ambassador right and we don't we just don't i don't know what's going on behind the scenes i don't know what the internal discussions are between the russians and israel i haven't heard of complaints by israeli officials uh, about it so we have to find out much more about what what we see and what really is happening um you were in as you alluded to you were in china right after the the prime minister was in China. We always talk about good news, positive things that are going on. Uh, It looks like, again, the uh, prime minister represented Israel very, very well uh, outside of Israel. 
um, uh, brought along business leaders on the trip, actually signed deals. Is that accurate? There was actually real business exchange going on during this journey? Well, actually, I was there at the same, we overlapped, uh, but he was in Beijing, and I was in Hangzhou and Hong Kong and Shanghai, uh, but he uh, he actually invited me to come and, and be with him, uh, but there are there were logistical problems with doing it. The, the, first of all, the, the attitude of the Chinese towards Jews and towards Israel is quite remarkable, it's traditional. Uh, they see themselves as the Jews of, of Asia. They completely identify in terms of family values, education, and many other norms that they see and, and have great respect for Israel, even though their policy is, is one of more neutrality. And they uh, said they want a resolution of the Palestinian problem by the in accordance with international standards and UN resolutions, the Prime Minister had very good meetings with the, the President and with others, other leaders in, in China. I, I will tell you, with my meetings with high-level people were equally uh, quite remarkable and wearing a yarmulke in many places did not, you know, evoke any response except uh, of respect for Jews. Uh, that is not, I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture, but uh, I think it's a very positive one, and they're looking for opportunities for commerce. There are delegations every week in Israel from China, and they're, they're looking to also to develop ties with American Jews, world Jewry, to, to work on a cultural, political, and economic levels. It's, uh, were, there, it's were, were, were there business leaders and business deals going on? Absolutely. The Prime Minister brought... Uh, delegation of businessmen, and and I know that out of it came some discussions. But frankly, I saw it just in my own visit the the potential for and people talking to me about their contacts with Israeli business leaders, asking me for contacts to certain in certain areas uh, to to get to to match up with Israeli entrepreneurs and and an interest in in working uh, with in America with American uh, Jewish, and they have. You know, great respect for for uh, American Jews. It's it's something that they want to echo. Uh, I mean, for Israel, and um, you know that they need for jobs. They need to develop. It's a, it's a tremendous population, and there's much more happening. I think than most people realize. Uh, and other areas of the Far East is similar reaction, right? If you'd go to uh, if you go to Korea or South Korea, if you'd go to uh, Japan, you'd see a similar reaction to Israel, correct? Uh, uh, yes, actually, I, I just got a contact from Japan where they're talking, asking to do a similar visit, and there are. And I've been there before. I was in China before, but not for many years. And I think what I saw now was was different than what I saw in the past. And the, you know, that many universities have Jewish studies department. A friend of mine told me he was invited to speak, and they told him to speak in Hebrew to a totally Chinese class, and they spoke perfect Hebrew to him. <laughs> and he was taken aback because all of a sudden he had to muster his Hebrew in order to address them. Pretty amazing. Um, the president of Israel, and I know it's not as significant as when the prime minister does it, he traveled to Vietnam this week. S- yes, and, and they signed understandings, and they, but it, it, it's a part of what you were alluding to, and that is, and I said that there's, there's a lot of good news, I hope to share it with the people in the Mission Hills at the party's program, that, that you know, while we focus and we dress and have to address, and it's a must, the challenges that we face, we also have to, to to look at the opportunities that exist, and some of them are, are really quite unique. Uh, that Israel 
Israeli leaders, the prime minister, the president, others are invited, and many of the visits don't get even reported when they're ministers, but they're going to to countries all over, including to Muslim countries. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, back to the bipartisan uh, um, attitude that we're hoping for in the U.S. Uh, uh, Congress. Uh, will, th- will there be a bill um, against Israeli boycotts? Um, and is there a status report you can give us in terms of the Iran sanctions and the and the action in Congress that's going on vis-a-vis those? Right. Well, there are many, many bills now uh, being considered, some dealing with uh, Iran sanctions, some dealing with the U.N. Um, there are, is the BDS legislation on the anti-Semitism uh, mandate resolutions and bills uh, that hopefully will will get considered. Uh, obviously, right now the priority is focused on the health care, and then uh, they're taking up. Uh, I forgot which issue right afterwards that the president already announced. Oh, tax reform. Uh, but at the same time, there is a lot of movement, and with APAC conference coming up, they they try always to to try and move it, and then people there go and lobby for it. So I think we're going to see a focus on some of the uh, increased sanctions against uh, Iran, uh, maybe uh, uh, other sanction uh, legislation, and especially focus now on, on the United Nations. Arab League Summit. Um, there'll be some type of peace proposal that the Arab League is going to be proposing for the PA in Israel? I don't know that there'll be a new proposal. They still they will probably reiterate support for the Saudi initiative, the Saudi plan, or the Arab Peace Initiative, as it was called, uh, reaffirming it. But uh, I think we'll hear a lot of criticism of Israel still emerging from there. Um, the, the Arab League meeting is, uh, is is a routine meeting. It's not a, a special meeting. Uh, there was a meeting in Turkey this week of, of thousands of Palestinians from their, quote, diaspora, where they talk about taking back and, and the right of return of millions to, to Israel and, and you know, many, asserting many of the old traditional positions that little uh, has changed. So I don't know what we'll see come out of the Arab League uh, things. I don't think it will be... Uh, of anything in particular. I think most of the, their focus will be on dealing with the new administration, trying to understand it and how they will deal with it. Uh, and, you know, this week uh, was International Water Day. We uh, we mentioned it and we spoke with somebody from JNF about the uh, incredible developments that are going on both in Israel and for countries around the world. Uh, you know, it's it, it just seems like <laughs> it, it's the most basic and most important element, obviously, water. Uh, it is It's the key to everything. And it, it, the, the Prime Minister of Israel, and I've cited this many times since it happened, you know what happened at the UN when he essentially said to everybody, you're going to need us, you're going to need our technology, you're going to eventually, you know, you're eventually going to turn to us, you may as well, you may as well hop aboard at this point. And it seems like this is one of the key issues, and it, it looks like there are countries in Africa and other areas of the world that would benefit greatly if they would just open up dialogue with Israel. Now, I know more and more are doing it, but, but, but there are some that are still under pressure not to, correct? Of course, but uh, you see in Africa where they uh, are now turning more and more towards, towards Israel, looking for opportunities. There's 
again, much more going on than is public in, in Agritech, in the water reclamation. Israel is clearly the world leader, and the fact that Israel's water is self-sufficient. I heard it in, in China that they are working uh, with Israel, and they want Israeli technologies, and they often go in and buy the companies in order to get it. Uh, I, I would hope that uh, even if they invest in the companies or buy them, but they leave the R&D and the jobs in Israel as much, and can do the manufacturing and things where, where it's most uh, pragmatic, but I don't want to see the job drained from Israel, and the, nor certainly not the brain drain. The the water reclamation and the ability to desalinate and to to provide for the people of Israel water is uh, you know it's a tremendous story um, that. Uh, has been written about, and there's that remarkable book about it, telling the uh, the story by Mr. Siegel, and the, and I think you know it's one of the many stories of what Israel is providing the world and can offer the world. You know, water is the source of life, and in, in, especially in in the drought, the, the drought-stricken areas, which often are increasing uh, in the world. So this technology is is vital. It's unbelievable, and you know I. Sometimes, you know, when you live through it, I know I've pointed this out before, but when you live through it, you don't even realize the miraculous times you're living through. Do you, do you sometimes just stop and say to yourself, look what was going on just a few decades ago? We talked about the 50th anniversary of Yerushalayim. Just look at what's happened just in those, I mean, I want to even go back to the beginning of the state and bore the young people with the, with the speech about what life was like you know, before there was the state of Israel. But just if you think of the last 50 years and the development and what's been happening and how Israel is changing the rest of the world, it is, it, we're living through miraculous times that's sometimes hard for us to see as you're living through it. If you would have thought back 10 years ago, right. not 50 years ago, 10 years ago, you would not have been able to envisage all, all that is happening. And, and it is so much how Israelis, anywhere you go in the world today, in places that you would never expect it and where they often go clandestinely, but there everybody's reaching out to them and to... to partner with them at the same time the political realities interfere which is why we hope there'll be progress and we get past uh, you know get to some resolution that enables this thing to really flourish the, the potential is just um, is limitless i uh, alluded to well, i said directly how well he does outside of israel the prime minister it, in israel as you just alluded to uh he he actually threatened to call for new elections this week which you know i think everybody has to at this point consider outrageous uh, you know, as close as it, as it well, is. No, this is, it's a political game. He said it before, you know, and the, the opposition threatens to, you know, and, and then everybody becomes more sober when they think about what the consequences of an election, what it will change, what whether the people of Israel really want to go through this gut-wrenching process. <laughs> you know, he, he it, it is the nature of a coalition system. It puts a prime minister or leader at a, at a distinct disadvantage. But we've seen that even in a two-party system, those kind of uh, paralyzing things can take place. The politics uh, dominate. So, you know, democracy, it's true, is is, uh, is not a great system, but compared to all others, it's the best. Yeah, so and, the, you know, that and Israel is certainly a vibrant democracy, maybe too vibrant too often. Yeah, uh, certainly very exciting. Um, information about the uh, 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem in the week that uh, will be a very celebratory week coming up May 22nd. You go to Mizrahi.org slash YY50. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. 
I thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to speaking again next week. Have a wonderful job. God yeah, willing, have a good job. It's a good Yes, and a good chodesh as well. Malcolm Holmline on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM.